puts sometimes a dollar, sometimes three dollars. The biggest I've ever seen is six dollars. It's always in cash, and it just says, for your work. And I, I, I have to say, I feel as blessed by that gift of a dollar or two as we have by the way God has blessed us with grants. It's not about the amount. What God was saying in, 20, in, in Matthew 25, it's not about how much, it's about what did you do with what I gave you? Where is your heart? He owns everything in the universe, so it's not about means, it's about heart. And uh, that has been the, the kind of the cornerstone for what we do in Haiti. How did we get to Haiti? I started going over there because a pastor down in Florida said, I sent 200 folding chairs to Haiti. This was a church that had used folding chairs, and someone said they could use those in Haiti for school kids to sit on. They were already old. So he said, okay, and he paid to have them shipped to Haiti, and I'm in the park, Betsy and I are in the park. This is an outdoor church. They have no building. But in Florida, you just get a folding chair, sit out in the park, Gene Scott preaches, the Holy Mackerel Band sings. It's really quite an experience. It's gorgeous there. And if it rains, you get wet. You bring an umbrella. So it goes on every Sunday. And Gene made the comment that he didn't know where the chairs, if the chairs even got there. So I was retired. We had just recently retired, in, uh, and we go there in the winter in Florida. So after church, I went up and I said to Gene, I said, I'll go find those chairs. And a couple weeks later, I got on an airplane and flew to Capation, Haiti, and with some leads and contacts, chased down the chairs, and sure enough, they were in uh, three different places. They were different small schools where the kids were using them to sit on because they didn't have anything else. But that trip touched my heart. God has a way of doing that. He'll send you on a mission that you think is a one-time deal, and I didn't have any intention of doing anything more than coming back and reporting on the chairs. But he broke my heart in that trip. And so for four years, five years at that local church, we raised money for food, and I would go over there and make deals with distributors to buy rice and beans in Capation, and we would then get the churches to come down and pick it up and they'd take it and feed the kids in their school. And then the earthquake happened, the big earthquake. And I came home and I said to Betts, I think, you know, we need to step it up. Um, so we have two grown boys. We, we are out of, and if you all are from here, you know about Lexington, we are out of uh, Grace Chapel. Our whole family found Christ at Grace Chapel back in 1980, 79 or 80. And, um, so we had a family council. My boys are now grown. The oldest is 50 and 48. So we called, we had a, and we said, well, let's found Help for Haiti. And our objective is really simple. I learned enough in those first four or five years to know that one small organization is not going to change the country of Haiti. We're not going to make Haiti different. So we isolated two churches, 500 kids, and said, let's not only make sure those kids are fed, 
you know, let's make sure that they get educated. But let's also, and my son, my oldest son, Jared, said, Dad, we could go over there and feed and educate kids, but if we don't get them employed with a bona fide job in Haiti, we're going to be just another 500 kids. Can we change the lives, not of all of Haiti, but of 500 kids, 250 in two different schools? And that's what we set out to do. So the first place we went to was a place up in the mountains. Here's a map of Haiti. People always ask me, well, where are you in Haiti? All right, I don't know how good your eyes are, but I'll point this around. Here's Port-au-Prince. This is the big city, three or four million people. This whole country has nine million people. There's a million people that live in Capetian. It's the second largest city in, in Haiti, and it's up in the north. It's in this north point. That's a little star there. Well, I don't know how God does it, but he led me to an isolated mountaintop in a town called Marmalade through a pastor named Pastor Villains, and it's this little dot. And this distance from here to here doesn't look like much on a map, but Betsy and I have made that trip more than once, and it is awful. It's a two-and-a-half-hour or three-hour ride over non-roads, bump, 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 up a mountain, over a mountain, through a mountain, and you finally get to this mountaintop, and that's where God put us. And why do I say that's where God put us is because This is where he sent us. I show up with another, another gentleman. His name is Bill Bull. Bill, I'm, we look like Mutt and Jeff. He's like 6'3", and I'm 5'7". He's got a Tennessee Southern drawl, you know, and, and the two of us show up, and this is what we did after the visit. We sent over tarps. When we first got there, this was just an empty four walls, dirt floor, no kids, and a pastor and his wife. But Pastor Villains told us the story of that sometimes he gets 20 or 30 kids to come and he teaches them in this foundation hole. Bill and I knelt down with him in this space and we prayed. And when we stopped praying and we lifted our heads, there were 35 women, a couple of men, but predominantly women, kneeling and praying near us. And so we didn't need any more encouragement that that was where God wanted us to start. So here's, here's what happened after just putting up the tarp. We went from, from a few kids to a bunch of kids. This is Betsy right here. And, the past, and there's Nelson, the guy who I've worked with for 12 years now over there. But this was what we started with. After having uh, a number of meetings, this is what the school looks like today. And you have been making donations to build this, folks, not little ones. You have been consistent providers quarterly to make this happen. 
And this happened all in like four years. We did it piece by piece. You see this big wall here? I go up one time, I go up there one time, and, I, and it's been very rainy. It was just a really big uh, hurricane kind of weather. It wasn't really a hurricane, but the, the, the rain was torrential. And as I'm climbing up this path to get to the school, I notice the side of the hill is crumbling down, mudslides. I come back, I made an appeal which was sent out to the church here. I said, we need to build a wall. In my imagination, I never imagined a wall like this. I was thinking a little wall. The funds came in, I got an engineer. I said, what do I need to do to secure that hill? This is what he gave us. And in a year and a half, the wall got built. So what does that mean now in terms of the kids? Well, because it really is, by the way, this is, uh, this is Mutt, and this is Jeff, and this is the pastor. Pastor Villains stands about this tall. He has six kids. His son is the director of the school now. Um, this, we built him a house. We built him a house on this site because I was there on one trip, and his heart is so big for God that he was take, he and his wife and his two of his kids were taking care of a, of a widow in a house. Betsy and I visited. The widow died. The family sold the house. His wife went back to live with her family and, her, and the children, and Pastor Villains was going from house to house. He was sleeping with whoever would let him stay over for the night. We're talking houses that are dirt floor houses, mud huts. So I put it out an appeal, and you guys responded, and we built him a small house on the property where he and his wife and, the land, and two of the kids live. So who are these kids? And by the way, stop me anytime. You have a question, I'm here, I'm just showing you these images, but at some point, I want you to, you know, we're here to answer any questions you have. So some of the things we've done is we implemented at the school a student achievement program because kids in this school weren't getting very good grades. So I, I think if my, if my kids had had this when we were young, I actually believe they would have been better students because our deal is real simple. The children are told at the beginning of the school year that if you achieve good grades, we will pay you cash for good grades. So if, you, if you're a student, if this little girl, her name is Tomar uh, Mikerlein, she got better than 7.5 on a scale of 10 on her national exam. In Haiti, every student gets one exam a year. You study all year, and at the end of the year, you take a national exam on all your subjects one time. I track 500 kids' scores on every subject, every grade. And I find all of those that did seven or above, up to some get nines. If someone gets nines, and we're talking about an average of nine, you know, that means you're just like nailing it, right? I mean, you're, we pay that child $50 
in U.S. money. And that U.S. money, they get it in a little envelope. They get it actually in, in Haitian money, in goods. That money guarantees that there's no reason they will not be in school the next year. Because the pastor and the school director are right there saying, let's take care of next year's tuition. Before you go home, let's take care of next year's tuition. So we are maintaining kids in school. We promised this child, and this is a serious promise, we have promised this child, remember we said educate, employ? We have told this child and every other one that if they complete high school with grades sufficient to get into college, that Help for Haiti will pay for their college education in Haiti. At whatever, we know that you can educate a child at a good university in Haiti for $5,000 a year. How many parents here would like to know that they could send their child to college for a full year for 5,000 US, right? That includes all their tuition and their books. When we make that commitment, the commitment comes with a requirement on the part of the parents. And that is, one, they will keep their child in school through high school. 60% of kids never graduate from high school. 60% end between sixth grade and seventh, eighth, or ninth. So it's a big deal to, for a child to have a dream that says, I want to go to college. And we also make the same commitment to those that are not college bound, if they're above seven, the 7.5 grade, if they want to go to trade school. We've got at least two kids in this school who have declared already they want to go to Bible school, they want to become pastors in Haiti. So it is about when we say employ, well, you have to educate beyond high school to become truly employable. And it's more difficult in Haiti. But these kids are beautiful. There's a lot of smart ones. There's also some lazy ones. Um, they're fun. Uh, we're, we're, you know, the, every, every kid here now gets a hot lunch at school. And the reason we feed first is if we don't feed them, they just cannot get educated. So we did that. That school now is up and running. We've got nine teachers there. They get a paycheck from Help for Haiti every month. We don't pay for 100% of their pay. We pay a stipend because we expect the school who charges tuition for every child to pay for some of the teacher's pay. That's all a part of the program. So about three years ago, um, we started a program saying, I'm an, I'm a, an entrepreneur. My, my, my business career is I worked at Polaroid for 25 years in sales and marketing. And then my brother and I started our own company, which we sold in 2003, three, and I've been doing this kind of work since. But I've always been a business person. So on my trips over there, I find I have, we have two full-time managers working for us in Capation. And Marco, uh, Marco wanted to be a pastor, uh, he literally, I, I, I would challenge anybody in this room, he could take on anyone memorized chapter and verse. I can virtually say to him, you know, give me, you know, Hebrews 3, 
12, and he'll tell me what it is. I mean, he's, he's, he lives in his Bible. And so I said, well, find me some women of, of no means in Capation, women who have no funds. And I said, but what I want you to do, Marco and Juna, his wife is Juna, please screen them. All I care is, is that these are women of good character who have a church history. I just care that they're women of good character. So he found for me four women, these four. And they showed up at the Monjoli Hotel where I stay three years ago, and the four women did not have one US dollar. This young woman right here, her husband died at 40 of undiagnosed heart disease. Um, she, was, she had a two-year-old child at that point in time, and she was taking, they were taking care of her blind mother. So now Jocelyn and her sister take care of a blind mother, a two-year-old, living in a big city. Georges has a husband who has worked about 20% of the year. He's a very good mason, but finding work as a mason is very hard to, to do. They have two kids. She was selling some stuff in the marketplace to just try and get food for the table. They all have a story like that. So we started training them up on how to be entrepreneurs. I drew a big circle on a piece of paper, and I said, you're a sisterhood. I want you to think of yourself as a sisterhood. And you're going you're gonna to work together to build a little business. So we chatted, and I talked about transparency. If you want to be a good businessman, you've got to be willing to let people see inside. You've got to, have, you've got to be timely. You have to show up for meetings. When there's a meeting, you've got to be there. You know, you've got to, be, you've got to trust each other. You've got to believe in each other. So there was a lot of setting the groundwork for the work that we did. But then Betts and I shipped over a whole bunch of old used shoes, which you guys, any of you been to one of our food packs up in New Hampshire? Remember I said, let's collect some old shoes? I took those shoes over there, and I gave those shoes to these ladies, and I said, let's put them in our inventory. This is your first stuff to sell. So there's a whole big pile of used shoes on the floor. I said, take that pair. How much can you sell that for in the marketplace? 200 goods. Well, that's about 60 goods to a dollar. So I can get $3 for those shoes in the marketplace. All right, write on what, what size, what type are they? Write it on a list. And we went through all the shoes and made a huge list. And we had a value now for all the shoes. How much are they worth in the marketplace? Then I said to him, well, when you sell a pair of shoes, what are you going to do with the money? And, the, you know, well, put it in our pocket. Buy stuff. I said, no, no, no. Why don't you put 30% of the money in your pocket for now? and put 70% of the money in a bank account that the four of you have your names on. So your names are on the bank account, not help for Haiti. Marco will help you set up the account, one of our, man our manager there. We set up the account. They started selling shoes. Next, we have a pa our, our associate pastor's wife has a dress shop in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If any of you get to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, look up Lizology. It's in Market Square. Go see her. Buy something. Because everything that she doesn't sell, she gives to help for Haiti. And I took over one time 70 beautiful summer dresses 
that had never been worn by anybody. These four ladies started going, say pa pepe, say pa pepe. And I go, and I ask uh, Marco, what's say pa pepe mean? He says, it's not used. It's new. That's what they call their company, say pa pepe. They sold those dresses, same formula, put 70% in the bank, put 30% in their pocket. They now have over $3,000 in US money in the bank, four women in three years. And this one comes to me one day and says, I have another idea, Jim. I'd like to start another company. And I said, what are you talking to me for? Go talk to your sisters. She went to them, borrowed $500 out of the money that they own collectively at an interest rate, and went out and bought a field of, 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 harvest, of ready to harvest uh, sugar cane. She and her sister got some guys to go in and harvest the sugar cane. They bring it in, they skin it, they cut it into pieces, they wrap stuff around it, and they sell it in the marketplace. So she has her own business. This one is doing oil. She buys large containers of oil. And from the oil, she puts it into smaller containers because she knows most of her neighbors cannot afford to buy a gallon of oil. They want to buy a pint. And she has a markup. She knows the difference between a margin and a markup because we've been teaching her business skills as they go along. So each one of them now have one business on their own, plus they do say papepe. I said to them, what is to you being successful in Haiti? When we started out and the first day I met them, their goal was to have $25 a week. They said, if I have $25 a week, we're in, we're in good shape. I said, I don't want to work with you. I'm not interested in helping you to get to subsistence level. We set the goal at $100 a week. And then for $5,000 a year, a family of four can live a reasonable life in Haiti. That means their kids can go to school. That means if there's a medical emergency, they have access to a doctor. So it's not like, oh, we got to get to 30,000 a year. We got to bring people from 25 a week to think about making $100 a week. So this program went off really well. And uh, I was here in Boston. Um, I went to be a, a judge on a children's entrepreneurial program over at Babson. And while I was there, I met a lady that was running a program called One Hen. And the One Hen curriculum is a true story. A boy, six years old, in Ghana, West Africa, six, his father died. He and his mother were selling sticks in the marketplace. His mother went and got the neighbors to give her enough money to buy a little wagon so she could haul more sticks to the marketplace. And there were a few pennies left over from that purchase. And her son, six years old, says, I have an idea of my own. Can I borrow that money? And he goes and purchases one hen. The one hen he brings home lays five eggs in one week. He and his mother ate one apiece. And he sold three in the marketplace. This young man, in a few weeks, couple of weeks, bought another hen. He paid for his entire education. 
He bought his own uniforms to go to school. He not only, and that's all the way through high school. Opportunity International, another organization, noticed this young man and said, we think you ought to get a, a degree in agronomy. And they paid for him to get a college degree in agronomy, farming. He came back. He bought his first hen farm of 900 laying hens. And today, he's 82 years old. His name is Darkal. He lives in Ghana. He's the largest purveyor of poultry in all of West Africa. He has, and he's put hundreds and hundreds of other people into business because he says to his employees, if you have a good idea, if you have an idea of your own, come and talk to me. A lady here in Boston, Kate Smith Millway, heard this story, wrote a children's book called uh, One Hen. And it's this story in kids' form. She published it because it was an interesting story. Kids in the U.S., in Roxbury and in, you know, in, the, in, the, in the impoverished areas of the U.S., read this story, and, and it resonated with them. And the teachers came back and said, Kate, you've got to make a curriculum. So she put together a curriculum of 50 weeks. It's called social entrepreneurialism. And the, and the idea is we, that program is taught in Roxbury, it's taught in, uh, in Harlem, in, in New York, in some of our inner cities. I saw the curriculum. Betts and I said, we have to have this. I took the one hen story. It's called Yampul. It's already published in Creole. I took the book to the pastors. They said, absolutely, we'd like this program. So we took the entire curriculum. It's 50 hours of kids' work. And we had it all translated into Creole. So now, in our, inner, in our schools, kids take that course. They start in the fourth grade. They have to know how to do multiplication and division. They're put into little groups of eight or 10 kids. And after school, it's an after school class of an hour, they, are, they come to the Yampool curriculum. When they come there, they learn things like, well, what is profit? They learn things like, well, what is a loan? What are material costs? What is a unit cost? Uh, how, do you, how do you compute interest on a loan? And at the end of a year, they go, they go through with their teacher, the academic, but they also, as they're going through it, they make product. So each, one of, each group of eight or 10 kids becomes a company. They have to have a name for their company. They have to have a manager for their company. They have to have a product guy or a materials guy. They have to have a sales manager. And they decide which child is going to be which role based upon which ones the kids want to do and seem good at. So then they have, they have to make the product. They get a loan from Help for Haiti. The loans are usually $10 to $15 administered by the, uh, by the, um, the director of the school. And they go into the marketplace and they buy materials. And then they come back. Uh, at the end, of the end of the year when they've made all their products. By the way, they do market research. They go out and ask people, well, what color bracelets would you like? So we're teaching them not to just make things they want to make, but to make things people will buy from them. The kids absolutely love doing it because they are, they are making something. At the end of the day, we tell them there are three things you can do with the profit. You have to make, you have to first of all repay your loan. 
So if you borrow money, you pay the loan and the interest. Second, you pick any cause in your community, cannot be your church, cannot be your school, any other cause, and you must take some percentage of the profit you made and give it to someone else. We don't tell them what the percentage is. It can be, they're usually more generous than you would imagine out of their profit. The first time we ran through, one of the young boys at this school uh, came up and said, he told the other kids that he heard that the prisoners in the, in, the, in, the, in the prison, the men's prison, did not have soap, toothbrushes, or toothpaste. And so the kids, all, there were eight companies, there's like 64, 70 kids that are in these. Each of the companies decided, well, this time we're each going to make our own percentage, but we're going to pool our money. And 20 kids out of this program on the first year, 20 kids went to see the warden at the prison and brought soap and toothbrushes and washcloths to the prisoners. And they're in their third year of doing it. They are, they are driving me crazy because they say, you've got to make, you got to give us uh, bigger loans. Uh, you, uh, by the way, we want to be able to do real, we want real stuff we can really go to market with. We don't want to just sell our products at the church at the end of the program, right? Sell day is usually an afternoon after the, you know, the church that all the parents come and they invite the neighbors and they have a big sell day. These kids are saying, wait a minute, I've been through this three times, it's getting a little boring, can't I go to market? And they're in the sixth, eighth, seventh grade. So, I mean, it's a problem, but it's one we absolutely love. This school, where this is taking place, is in Capation. Betts and I, I, we know the guy who runs this because we were in Florida. He came over for a short visit, and he had no roof for his space that he, he had to move from where he was. That was 13, 12, 13 years ago. So we bought him a metal roof to put over. They're still there in this building. So Pastor Decius is a really uh, cool, cool guy. But his school is nothing. I mean, his school is this building. There is raw sewerage running through the middle of the street in the front of the school. This is the building that you saw that, that uh, this is the interior. There are no dividers. It's one big room, it's, it's their church on Sunday. They put up some dividers and they got six grades and 200 kids that go there. The kindergarten kids are in little rented spaces down the street. You know, they just rent a little room and you'll walk down this alley and you'll find 30 kids here or 20 kids and one teacher. So what we decided was we're gonna build a new modern school. And um, last year, we started fundraising, again, of which you guys fully participated, and we bought a piece of land. Thank you. So on February, Betsy and I and, and, and a couple of my other board members went over to look at the land. We, we, we went over there to buy a piece of land for $72,000. When I got over there, that piece of land really wasn't as good as this piece of land, but this piece of land cost $90,000. Keep these numbers in mind, because when I went to look at this land, I had 50,000. And I'm now looking at a piece that's 90,000. 
And I'm saying, God, I think this is a much better piece for our, what we want to do. So I called back to the board, and they, I said, look, this guy is going to sell this land pretty quick. Uh, what do you think? Can we step out in faith and just uh, buy the land? And I got affirmative from my board, and we made a deal with the, with the owner that we would buy the land for $90,000, and that I'd give him $50,000 in October, and I would be back by February 15th with 40000 to complete the transaction, not having any of it. So I came back. I went to Gene Scott at the church down there. I put an appeal out. I got funds started flowing in. It's February 7th or 8th. It's my birthday, and one of my friends from here, he's down there. I was on the board of that company for a while, and he and Donnie and, and, and Rhoda said, we want to buy you uh, dinner. And I am sitting there saying, next week I have to be in Haiti, and I have to, I have to pay the last uh, 40000 and I am, I am $9,600 short. And at dinner that night, and Donnie had no knowledge of this, Donnie says, oh, by the way, the management of Web Industries wants to support Help for Haiti. They've authorized me to give you a check for $10,000. One week before I had to go over and make the final payment. I, I just know God really moves. And the more we are willing to risk and, and step out and say, I don't know how it's going to happen, I think that's where, more often than not, that's where he meets us. He meets us in the place where we don't know. So what, where are we now? Well, so the story continues. It's now I come back in February. I said, Bess, we've got to start raising money for a school. And I got a plan for a school from a good guy. Here's the plan. I went through it. I'm, I mean, I used to build branches of banks. That was one of the things I did as a, as a, a company. So building something like a school is not that scary to me. But I looked at the numbers, and they were scary to me. In order to build this school, the brick and mortar is um, 375000 And then in order to put desks, no benches, a desk for every student, solar power so they have electricity, a septic system, you know, a generator for emergency power. You, you can go on and on. Books, you know, blackboards, all the stuff, $500,000. So I go back to Gene Scott, because I know Gene, and he's right across the, you know, and I say, can I make an appeal in the park? Sure. I get up, I say, look, we're going to build a school. It's going to have 14 classrooms. It's, uh, you know, it's going to have a soccer field. Oh, my goodness. Kids are going to actually have a field where they can play soccer and running water toilets and whatever, whatever. And within two weeks, right, $10,000 comes in. Bets and I have never done a fundraiser in the 10 years that we've done this. But we belong to a golf community, a golf club in uh, Naples. I said, let's do a fundraiser. So she doesn't like to talk in front of groups. Betsy's very, she doesn't like to talk. But she was killing herself to help me get this thing done. I mean, it was a lot of work that in about a month or two, we put together a, an event at a country club, invited 70 people to come in. It was a pure fundraiser. We didn't talk like I'm doing now. Instead, we gave them a questionnaire, and I had these stations around. They had to go to each station and learn about, say, Papepe, the One Hen program, the food program. 
And then at the end of it, uh, we said, hey, there's a, there's a grand prize. For every 10 blocks that you buy, and each block is $10, you get one chance in a drawing for our grand prize. So you buy $100, you give me $100, you get one chance in this drawing. At the end of the evening, there was $25,000 in commitments and cash. And one person won the grand prize and immediately said, how can I donate it back to Help for Haiti? Someone at that meeting, that, that event, said, I have a person over on the other coast. We're on the west coast of Florida. This is on the east coast. I think this person would be interested in your story. Would you be willing to drive over and meet with them? So I got in a car with a, another guy. We went to a restaurant in, on the west coast. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm going over there for maybe a $500 donation. Right? That would have been a very sizable donation. And I'm telling this guy, Bill, over lunch. He owned the restaurant, and uh, so I didn't even buy lunch. And I get done the lunch, and at the end of the lunch, un without me even making any request, he says, here's what I want to do. I want to give you $25,000 now, and I want to give you $25,000 a year for the next three years. A lunch, because I drove across two-hour drive from I mean, this man obviously has a lot of means, a lot of means. So where am I? Uh, you know, I've, it's been, we're still in, in, in uh, March. We only started in February. I, I got 10,000 from the park. The, oh, the 25,000 that we got at the event, another guy says, I'm matching it. So it's 50,000. So I got 60,000. I go across and I got 85,000. And it very much occurred to me after that meeting on that lunch, God is saying, build this school now. Because when I started out, I said it's a three or four year program. I fully anticipated it would be three or four years before we would break ground. And then it would take, you know, I figured if we would be fortunate if we had a school up and running in, you know, four to five years. I now believe we're going to open that school in September of this next year. Because someone else came forward and said, guess what? Any donation you get all year, I'll match. If it's $1,000, I'll match every $1,000 gift up to $250,000. All we did was step out and say, let's build a new school. But the school, the school, and I think what's, what makes it a little different is we're, making, we're building a contract. The pastor at the, that has the school, that pastor, as much as we love him, and he is, his credibility, his, his authenticity, he's a real deal. He's terrible in terms of hitting the hard questions about a school. I mean, so we're setting, we're setting up a separate board between the school and Help for Haiti in Haiti and every year, we're going to give this entire building, which is going to cost 500000 when it's done, we're going to say, Pastor Decius, you have it for a year for $1. There's a contract between the school and Help for Haiti. You get the entire facility for $1. But what you must do is you must come forward with a plan that says, I will see to it that we have good qualified teachers in this school. 
No friends of friends teaching just because they're your friends. We want licensed, good teachers. Number two, we want to know that uh, your teachers are not only credentialed, but they are paid a living wage. We're not going to educate the children on the backs of the teachers by having a teacher who's making 60 or $80 a month when they should be making 140 or 150 So there's pressure on them. And the other thing is we're saying, you have access to the school till 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. From 3 o'clock on, Help for Haiti is going to run in the same 14 classrooms an adult, communication, uh, adult community center. Teaching people we, be, that we, gave, we got that grant that I mentioned. That grant will allow us to take this program from which right now is eight women. That grant, we're going to be doing 80 women. 80 women will get to go through in groups, you know, a four apiece. So can we change Haiti? I don't think so. Not in my lifetime. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of problems in Haiti. Do you believe that we could change the lives of 500 kids? That we could give them a different experience when they grow up? And if you think of what happened from that 500 to 500 more, you know, I, I'm mindful that it's 500 every 12 years. Every 12 years, there's 500 more. So we are here to just say thank you. Um, to let you know it's been an amazing journey and that you're on it with us. Um, I don't have anything else. Any questions? Yes. Read it to me. Well, I can only speak to that um, personally. And I, and I can speak to it in terms of my community, uh, especially in Rye, in Rye, New Hampshire, and in um, Florida. Um, there are, Bess and I were very fortunate in life. I mean, um, we're married 54 years. Um, we got two great kids. Our sons are both doing well. Um, one works as communications director at Grace Chapel. The other is a really well-known artist. And God has blessed us in, and given us wealth. And, and we take that responsibility seriously. You know, it's, I have a dear friend, um, and they'll be up to visit us. His, his name is Mike, and his, and his um, wife is Mary. And um, Mike is older than I, and I always kind of like find mentors who are a few years down the road further than I am because you can learn how to, mon how to model yourself. Uh, Mike uh, had a lot of wealth. Um, they basically sold all their stuff. I mean, they had, he, at one point he was a member of four different clubs. He had three different houses. You know, I mean, he had, and he, and he, and he and his wife said, we don't want any of this stuff. He's, in, he's like 82. They're now living at Shell Point, which is a, a continuous care community, an apartment of you know 1,600 feet in Naples. I mean, in Fort Myers, and their whole purpose in life is how do I, in a really good way, give away everything I've earned? 
How do I find out in a thoughtful, careful way to give away everything that God has given me? I mean, I think that's what that verse talks to. If our heart is in the right place, our money will follow where God intends it to go. Does that help? Only in the sense that Capetium, which at the beginning of the earthquake was a, was a city of about 750,000. A week after the earthquake, there were over a million two. All the people who had relatives or any relationship when the city was destroyed in Port-au-Prince, they all got on buses, cars, any way they could, and came into uh, Capetium. The saddest story, it was in one of my early um, uh, blogs I put out, was the story of Samuel. Um, Samuel was in the earthquake. His family was killed. Uh, he was a, a baby, a, you know, a, a one-year-old uh, baby. And he was dug out of the rubble. And um, so Samuel was brought because there was no place to put these kids in Port-au-Prince. So they, the, the government collected hundreds of these kids and brought them to orphanages that were outside of the zone. And Samuel got delivered to an orphanage that I was working with a little bit in Capetian. Um, Samuel has a brother because at almost the same age, another woman in Capetian could not take care of her own child and brought a baby of the same age and just put it in front of the orphanage door and went away abandoned her child because it was, she couldn't feed it. So Samuel and his brother, uh, uh, Raymond, have grown up together. They're now six, seven years old. Both of them reside in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, they got adopted, you know, out of that orphanage. So, and, and, you know, it didn't happen right away. It was a couple of years later. Uh, but, no, the, the infrastructure in, in Capetian did not get affected, but the economy did. I mean, it's, it's a city with, uh, if you went, if when you arrive, the bay, it looks like you could walk on it because it's so filled with trash. I mean, you know, it's, the rivers, as they get close to the bay, are just this deep in, or this deep, I don't know how deep, but they're deep in trash. The sewer systems, are pretty much non-existent. Um, the electric grid in Capetian is now a, a lot better than it was five years ago. So we are making improvements, but it's been slow going. Other questions? Yes. It's a great question. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I mean, I'm a born again, evangelical Christian, and my family stands there. But God raised me as a businessman, and I came to Christ, we both did, at about the age of 40. And when I retired, I tried to do just the retirement. I went to Florida for the winter and played golf, and I'm terrible at it. And it got boring after about the fourth time in a week. I'm going, I've been on this course, I've been around here four times. God then put a, a burden on my heart to get involved. But I, I've never really ever felt that my job 
was to evangelize these children. I believe God gave us the opportunity to work with Christian schools. I very much vet where is the pastor that founded the school. Uh, you know, are those children are those children being cared for by people who are very interested in their spiritual walk? But I believe God placed me in a position to say, I'm there about trying to show them a pathway out of poverty without leaving Haiti. It's easy for kids to come. We've got kids over at Gordon College, two or three Haitian kids I've met, I've chatted with. Very, very well-meaning and very caring people took them out of Haiti, are putting these brother and sister through four years of college at Gordon over $70,000 a year to put two of them through. And, and, and are they going to go back? I've asked them. Well, no, but I'm going to earn some money here and I'm going to support people in Haiti. The diaspora, Haiti would crumble, frankly, very quickly if it wasn't for the people who live here and send money there. Haitians here sending, extended, sending money back for extended family care. But in terms of the spiritual well-being of those kids, there's a big, much like here, there is, a, there is a, a, a pressure between the government of Haiti and the church. There are, no, there are no public schools. I mean, they say there are. There's maybe 20 of them in the entire country that are actually run by the government. Almost all the schools are Catholic, Protestant, variety of different versions having schools where kids are being raised. There is no public platform for schools. So I know Pastor Decius's heart. I know uh, Pastor Villain's heart. They open up every school day in prayer. Pastor walks and he goes, 200 kids go silent and go. I mean, it's not like three minutes from now we'll settle down. As soon as he goes, boom. They pray over, they start their day that way. I am going to ask in the new school when we build it that there will be an after school Bible class. I'm going to ask that they include that. But the, uh, the kids are, for the most part, they're not, it, it, not every kid going to, that, to our, either of these schools is, is, has, has found Christ yet. Not much different than here. Lots of kids who are on different pathways. Lots of kids in our school in Capetian are Catholic by denomination, because Catholic is the broadest um, uh, denomination in Haiti now. That answer? Well, in both of the 
the organizations. Like if you take the name of the church in, um, in Capetian is uh, New Star of Bethlehem Church. So the church is an active church. I mean, I usually talk there. When I go there on Sunday, there'll be 300 people. Um, that, that church, when we pull out of that building, will be a community center and a church for that neighborhood because they don't want to leave it. They do Bible studies. Um, they, they, have a deacon, they have their deacons and their boards. They are doing evangelical work in the community on an on, ongoing basis. So the church is, an, are, and up in, uh, in the Marmalade, which is up on the top of a mountain, you have to go two and a half miles to get to the nearest market. Pastor Villain has, uh, I brought him two of the boxes that are um, in Creole, the Bible being spoken in a box that will broadcast. So he gets up at four in the morning and walks to the market three days a week when the market's open, gets there before market, turns on his, his boom box, and just has chapter and verse broadcast to the market, stands there and invites people to come and ask questions. So there is real evangelical work going on, real outreach work. I don't, I don't really know, and I would be remiss to try and answer what their discipleship programs are internally. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not been an area where I've focused. Thank you. No, it's, it's, a, it's another God story. Uh, the first year we opened this, we, we said, well, we're going we're gonna to try and, and feed the kids up in the mountains. So I did some investigation and found out about um, Feed My Starving Children. It's an organization that's just amazing. If you're not supporting them or if you don't know about them, look them up online. They are an amazing group of young people. I say that because every time I meet them, I look around and they're all, you know, they're millennials. They're young folks. They're, you know, 30 is like an old folk. Well, they have this program out in the Midwest, mainly in Minnesota, Arizona, a couple other places. They have packing centers. They're big, huge warehouses, and they call churches in. The churches come in and they pack meals. The manna pack meal is a meal, it's a bag of food, that is really healthy and will nourish a child. One bag is supposed to be six meals. That's their formula. In our program, one bag is three meals because the kids get a bowl full of food. But it's rice and soy and it's got chicken in it and it's got minerals in it and it's a balanced hot meal. So I, they have a mobile food pack. You can call them, organize a packing event. They'll tell you you need to have a venue, a room. You need to get 600 volunteers and they'll come in with bulk food and in one day you'll run four shifts and you'll pack 125,000 meals. Put it on pallets, in sealed boxes, put it on a truck and boom, 125,000 meals are, are delivered to Africa, uh, the Sahara, Haiti, any place, when they had the big tsunami, three million meals arrived out of Feed My Starving Children in, in three weeks they were feeding people in, um, in um, 
on the other side. Malaysia, in Malaysia, when they had the tsunami, they are, they are able to mobilize, and, and, and so what are they up, up to? They're up to, to stop childhood hunger in the globe. That's their stated mission. They want no hungry children on the globe. So this year, they will be packing 186 million meals this year. Well, we started packing 125,000. We did it for six years in a row. I went to their conference every year to learn how do you manage it and take care of it and whatever. When we did the food pack, we took responsibility for the food in Portsmouth. I'd put it on a truck, ship it to Hollywood, Florida. Caribbean Cargo would put it in a, in a container. It would get shipped to Cap Haitian. Marco and Nelson, my managers, store it in an orphanage where they have a big orphanage over there. They agreed to store our food. Then every month we send it out to our two schools. And we've never lost a meal. We were able to track and count for every meal. So two years ago, they said, you know, you could get an allocation uh, from them. And I said, really? Yeah, so the first year I asked for another 120,000 meals. And so when they shipped us the bulk food to New Hampshire, it included 120,000 meals that were already packed. The next year they said, you can get 250,000 if you want. Well, I can only manage the distribution on the other end, our resources are limited to be able to really, in a careful way, manage the distribution of the food once it's in Haiti. So I said, I can't, I don't want to pack. I've, they've already donated the food to us. That's that charity giving help for Haiti, $22,000. Because that's actually, this year it was 44,000 because they gave us the whole container. So I think it's, it's another, you know, it allows me, because it's a huge amount of time, of our time, Bets and myself, to organize the event for the, you know, for the, the uh, food pack. It's freed me up to do this thing about building a school. And I was, it, you're right, uh, it, it, it is, it is a, it's a heartbreaker in a way because it wasn't only the churches that were bringing kids. Uh, we were reaching out to things like Berwick Academy, you know, to some of the, the, the kids, the schools are all looking for ways they can engage their kids in uh, community work. And I loved it that we were playing Christian music, we had prayer over the meals, and we were getting kids that were coming from all kinds of places where they don't see they don't see Christians actually doing things. Uh, so it's a witness of a kind that I think is important in this generation, that the church is relevant, that we do things. So I, it was a very tough decision. I have one more that's coming. It's not that much engaged, but I'll, I've just ordered up uh, 500 22-ounce uh, stadium cups. And on the top of them will be a coin lid. And on the side, it's going to say coins for blocks. So I'm going to challenge every kid 
And uh, I got lots of stories, by the way, of the kids that come to those food packs that made use their summer. So these coins, the, you collect coins from now till whenever. When the thing is full, inside the cup when you get it will be some rolls, paper rolls to roll the coins up. Roll the coins up, take it to the bank, and send us a check. You'll be buying blocks with coins. And it's going to, I got 500 of those. The Bethany kids at Bethany Church in, in Rye, 250 kids are going to go out this summer. Uh, Amy Kinstead, uh, her way to earn money, she's like 10 years old now. Her dad is a gardener, has a big garden in the back, flower garden. So she separates flowers out, puts them in separate little pots, puts the little pot on a table in the front of her driveway, and last summer she sold over $200 worth of plant, all of which went to, for food for Haiti. So our idea is, we call it, you know, love works. You know, if your heart is in the right place, you do some things. You can never work your way into heaven. It's not about, it's not about your salvation, but it is about your walk. It is about how do you get up in the morning, what do you feel about what your day, what you really did that was valuable this day. And it can be small. That's why I love the coin cups. My, my granddaughter came up. I said, uh, Charlotte, go get out of Papa's drawer that bag of change that I got in there. And we took one of the cups, and we just poured the coins in there. And I said, Charlotte, how much money do you think's in the cup? She says, Papa, I think there's $20, maybe 25 I said, oh, it's more than that. I said, 35 so then we took all the coins, poured them out, and we put them in little rolls. It was $60. $60 in one little cup. If you do the math, if I get 500 cups full times $60, it's $30,000 that can go to build, you know, that's 3,000 blocks. You know, that's a classroom or two. A little bit that can mean a lot. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you. Yep. Unfortunately, I'm actually leaving for Haiti. I'm, I'm on, I have to be on an airplane in a while because I'm actually going to be there Monday. So I would solicit prayer for this trip. Um, lots of activity on the other side. So. Thank you.